we're sort of caught in the emotion in the moment. And then afterwards, when we get out of it, we look back and go, you know, we can see it with a different perspective. Welcome to the Dental Head Start Podcast. I'm David Keir, and this episode, we sit down with two guests. We're so lucky to be joined with Dr. Shirag Devani and Dr. Viet Lee. And both Shirag and Viet have gone down such amazing paths. It was such an honor to have this interview, and I know it is a monster podcast, but I'm sure you'll be engaged right to the end. This is a story about two gentlemen, their story into dentistry, through dentistry, and their story as they find mindfulness, as they find mental health stability and as they start to teach what they've learned. Their stories are worlds apart at times, but they intertwine the entire way through. They talk about their, obviously, their education, their struggles early on, their understanding and realization of some of these challenges that we all go through. They then diverge paths and we hear of Shirag and his travels, it's something that I love to hear about and love to do myself. We hear of Fiat and his more, I guess you could call it a more traditional pathway, but something that we all can relate to with family, with business, with the pressures of everyday life. Events, significant events happen in both of their lives at a similar time and it's interesting how the paths then come back together and their stories solidify into a common goal and a common focus which is mindfulness and mental health within the dental industry. Something that I think is really important, something I want to share. We talk about travel, we talk about how to manage your own situations, your own stresses, we talk about breathing techniques, we talk about the importance of relationships, the importance of mental health in the dental practice. This is such an important story. I hope everybody enjoys this. And I also want to say that we, uh, for the next quarter, Q2 2021, we are putting out the Dental Head Start donations or giving towards the flood victims in New South Wales. It's close to my heart because it's literally close to my home. It's where I work. A lot of the people I know and patients I serve have, have lost a lot. So we are giving our small little bit to that. I hope you can contribute if you are interested. Look at the show notes um, or go to dentalheadstart.com slash giving. We're we're hoping to get some details up there as soon as we know. As always, I want to say thank you to our sponsors and of course, Ripe Global, they've got a segment at the end of this podcast, what I think is a really interesting one where it's Lincoln Harris answering questions submitted from the people who are members of Ripe Global. So I hope you enjoy that and I hope you enjoy this podcast, something that really was profoundly impactful for me and I hope it is impactful for you. Enjoy the conversation with Dr. Shirag Devani and Dr. Viet Lee. BOQ specialists have worked closely with dental professionals for over 30 years and they understand the unique challenges that you, as a dental student or graduate, will face at the beginning of your career. I know they helped me early on as a dental student and they can help you too as they offer a private banking experience and tailor their products for dental professionals. I can say they have great customer service. I've lost my password that many times and they've always been able to help me. Nothing like the experiences I've had with competitors. So if it sounds like they can help you too, get in touch with them for a chat. For more information, visit boqspecialist.com.au slash students or check out the show notes for more details. TNC's fees and lending criteria apply. See boqspecialist.com.au for more details. All right, I'm excited about this episode so much. I had to actually upgrade my Zoom because this time we have two guests with us tonight. We have Dr. Viet Lee and Dr. Trag Devani. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us, Dave. Uh, it's my pleasure. And we're going to talk about something that uh, I think is, is really important, something um, 
you know, many of us hear about not really know how to deal with, and that's things like mental health issues, mindfulness, and managing the emotional and the really the challenging side of both dentistry and life. And I wanted to ask, this is just a really quick question. We'll go, you know, um, Viet and then Shirag, we'll talk about why, when did you first get exposed to mindfulness? When did you first think about mental health, if that makes sense, right back at the start? Right back at the start, jeez, it's it's going back a fair way. Um, I think for me it started during my childhood, like even in school. Um, At the time, I probably didn't realise that it was affecting me because I thought this was just part of life, I guess. Um, And as I was going through, I sort of felt this sort of anxiety and expectation. Um, there's a bit of an Asian stereotype with that, I guess, <laughs> but uh, it's not something that I had that um, as I went through uh, just high school and then uni, um, it's something that, you know, for me it was very normal, but looking back, it's something that sort of affected me so much and my relationships as well, like um, with family and friends and that, but that's that's something I want to touch on as well a bit later on is the the relationship side. When we've been talking off air and communicating, you did bring that up a couple of times and I think that's super important and I, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I was going to say that's probably the biggest benefit for me. Like it was just, it's life-changing, yeah. But, yeah, but we, we can talk more about that later, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and Chirag, what was your experience early on? Yeah, so... Um, Similar to yeah, like I think um, to answer your question, like when was my first exposure to mindfulness? Because um, that was a question, wasn't it? When was, yeah, mm-hmm. like my first exposure to to mindfulness was probably around 2014 when I was given um, a couple of books randomly by somebody, um, and even actually even a couple of years earlier, I was living in London at the time, and I was just given um, certain books um, that were, you know, probably centred around mindfulness. Um, maybe one was like The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Tolle. Um, another one, um, I think The Art of Happiness by Dalai Lama. So the, that's the first exposure I had to mindfulness in terms of the, the actual word mindfulness. But very similar to Viet, um, I didn't realise it, but my normal, like my, from a very young age, was probably uh, quite an anxious kind of state. But I had no idea um, because that was my normal. So I think... Um, well, probably starting as early as grade one. Like I was stressed going from grade one to grade two. And I think it's probably very typical, again, of what we had said about that. Not only, I mean, I think a lot of ethnic immigrant, you know, mm. uh, people would, would relate to that. But also I think that's even in, in, in families that are, um, you know, local as well. So but we're, my history is yeah, I was an immigrant. So coming with that, I think that immigrant stress, I call it, um, I think um, picking that up early, um, I'd say that's probably when I first, re- look, when I look back, I-, I was anxious from the start. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, around 2014 was when I first was exposed to the material. Yeah. It's it's interesting because in hindsight, it's always so obvious, isn't it? But I think like I could, I can relate to your stories exactly. I, you know, in my early years, it was more of a socially related anxiety, but that's something that yeah. was my normal. So that was just 
normal. Like I had no idea that that was something until I started to learn about it. And again, exposed to, you know, mindfulness. I probably, um, what's the word? I um, chalked up that question a little bit. So (laughs) it wasn't very clear, but yeah, it's the same kind of story. So I really look forward to hearing all about that. Um, Now you guys, obviously, those anxieties early on, um, you, you both obviously did well in school and you ended up in uni and that's how you met. Tell us about that. Um, <laughs> it's actually um, a slightly long story. Like Chirag and I actually went to primary school together. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, we went to the same primary school. Um, not to say that that's the reason for our anxiety, by the way. <laughs> it's not linked. <laughs> um, but we actually went to primary school together, but we actually never said a word to each other. Like we knew of each other. Um, Chirag was a bit more of a jock. Um, and I was a bit of the, the nerdy um, Asian kid um, in, in the library. Um, so, yeah, so we went to um, school together and it wasn't, we went to different high schools and then it wasn't until we got into uni. Um, yeah, we met each other in debt dentistry and, um, you know, we've created a strong bond that's sort of continued since then. Um, and we've seen our journey sort of, uh, I think, run in line with each other. And, yeah, I think that's why we're, we're so passionate about this stuff because it's just we've just come a long way. It's just funny just looking back and realizing that, yeah, we we're just back in McGregor say hi yeah. um, together. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I find it really interesting how you know you guys um, you met well earlier than I thought, but then obviously went through uni together. The paths diverged quite a lot, and then have come together back together. You know, you you're actually obviously both general dentists working in the same practice, um, so they've gone apart, come back, but then the same purpose as well so tell, tell us about uni were you guys like you know top students or were you battling through it how was uni <laughs> um, oh yeah i think um it's interesting i think uh yeah yeah i like the stitch up where i was a jock which is true <laughs> but at uni i'd say i was probably um yeah i think put a lot of pressure on myself like um to get into dentistry in the first place we went through the queensland system I think we're the first year to do the one three one system, so it was really challenging to get into uni. Um, so I think that first, the second year, second year dental school, which is our first year of dentistry, was pretty tough. Um, I think um, so. In terms of uh, how it was um, at uni, I'd say I was pretty academic. Um, yeah. Well, when I called Chug a job before. I didn't. I left out the fact that he actually outperformed me in the, the, the <laughs> academic side as well. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want the shame. <laughs> I forgot the question. What was the question? <laughs> how was uni? I guess, and how you know? Tell us actually. Tell us a story about Viet. Something that no one knows that um, we probably shouldn't know. <laughs> oh, oh, at uni, Viet would get. Uh, he would. He was um, very fast at clinical. Um, practice on the dummy heads because he wanted to get down to the common room as quick as possible to play pool. Yeah. So, uh, so Viet was really quick. That's why I know he's really, really fast. And I was um, really wanting to play pool with him as well, um, but I was a bit slower. Uh, a bit of, <laughs> bit of a perfection, perfectionist on those models, which I think has a deeper underlying meaning to the topic of mental health. But um, i say for me, uni was, I found it, again, in hindsight, I go, oh, it was a breeze. But if I really think about it, no, nah, man, it, it was, I'd say it was a very tough time. Like, uh, I don't think I was alone. I think a lot of students found it quite stressful, but we were young, you know, we, we were willing and we, I think we, we just kind of, you know, st- uh, worked hard and played hard. Yeah. I think played, yeah. played pool hard. <laughs> it was table tennis for us, but the same story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think for me, like, um, 
it was tough for me because you realize you're in a group of a bunch of high achievers. These are like the top students. And I, I think for us as well, like um, because it was a new system, there was two years worth of students applying for the same spot. So it was like, it's quite competitive and being surrounded by um, the caliber of students there, it can be quite daunting. And I think for myself, like I, um, you know, at the time, like I'm probably not as strong academically as Chirag and that's because I also was quite lazy, but, you know, just being, just being around, you know, all those people who are like studying so hard and, and doing so well. And I think that that takes its toll mentally, I guess. Like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so for, for me, it was quite tough just um, always comparing, I guess. There's, there's, there's always a bit of that anyways, um, just with any sort of degree, I feel. But, um, yeah, for, for me personally, just surrounded by so many great dentists, great students and, and whatnot. Yeah, I've got a memory actually that came up when we was talking <laughs> I remember in first year science, because we, we, we couldn't get straight into dental school in Queensland. I remember it was the first week, I was 17, I remember, um, and I went to the lecture, which was for people wanting to get into dentistry for that year. And I walked in, there was what felt like about 700 to 800 students in, in the room. It was packed. And uh, I remember really clearly this, this uh, lecturer, this lady came out the front. She literally said, she, she looked up and said, do the maths, guys. This is the first thing she said. And the only thing she said, she said, look around the room. There's 45 places. There's about 800 of you. Do the maths. Okay. She goes, this isn't the year to, to muck around. Um, good luck. And then she's walked off. And I, I, I was like this kid and I was like, I, I, I think I went home that day quite stressed, quite worried, thinking how the hell am I going to get into this course, competing against these, these year levelers above me as well. And again, like Viet said, the cream of the crop. So it was, mm. yeah, pretty stressful. I, I can imagine. You hear stories of, of courses where they say that at the start, you know, that situation, I hear it in law, like, you know, less than half of you are going to get a job. All right, now let's keep going. I think that's, that's really breed, um, breeding like a positive outset, isn't it? A lot of us relate to the story, you know, a little bit of anxiety for different reasons at different times. Do you think dentistry selects for that or do you think dentistry or dental school breeds that? Oh, good <laughs> question. Well, uh, I think you've, you've, you've uh, got a theory on it. Well, no, uh, actually, it was, well, for our work, for, for our, um, you know, being together, which is our, our thing, um, I've been reading a lot of scientific articles um, and one of the articles came up that said um, that people with a predisposition for anxiety choose dentistry. So... There is a, there are studies that show that the personality type chooses dentistry. So there's that, and then I think it's pretty obvious that <laughs> dental school will definitely breed some level of anxiety because of the again you're, you're with a bunch of I think they call it type A personality, the the high achieving personality type, very hard on themselves, perfectionists in general. Of course, there's 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 different personality types in dental school, but I think in general this is the study show, and that. You, you put all that in one room, you know, um, and then you throw in the stress of actual dentistry when you're, when you're starting out. It's not easy. Um, say, you know, the first time you see an actual patient. Um, and then you, I think you throw in the competitiveness uh, amongst this high-achieving group. Um, and then you've got your everyday stresses as a, as a, you know, I think the majority of dental students are between the age of 18 and 25. That age is not, you're still 
growing as well. So I think you throw all that into a pot um, and you're going to get some stress. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and like you said, you know, it attracts people like perfectionists. Um, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's interesting you say, you know, 18 to 25, I trained in um, Sydney University postgrad. So our uh, range would um, just off the top of my head, probably starting at between 23 and, and 30 perhaps. And But the thing is that then brought in other challenges. So, you know, some people had kids during the program or, you know, like all those other things and responsibilities that come with being a little bit older, but then you've got the pressure of dentistry as well. So I don't think it, I don't think it gets easier <laughs> either way, I guess. Um, so a thought I had with the way you were describing it is imposter syndrome. Is something you relate to or something you see? Yeah, for sure. Like, um, I think for a long time, like I felt that I wasn't meant to be there. Like I felt out of place, I guess, at dental school. Um, and it, the story goes back as to how I got into dentistry as well. Like, um, like I, I went through um, high school and everything and I, dentistry wasn't even on my radar. Like um, it was actually pharmacy. Like it was, yeah, I did work experience at a pharmacy and I, um, I remember it clearly because um, I looked at the pharmacist and what he did all day was he sat down and read a newspaper and got, got me to get, get him a coffee. I was like, that's who I want to be. I want to be that. <laughs> uh, um, so, yes, yeah, so I was thinking of becoming a pharmacist. And then um, I actually just missed out uh, with my OP. And so already I felt like I disappointed my parents and whatnot. And um, so, yeah, so then what happened was I had – to do a year of science and my goal was my intention was to upgrade into pharmacy um but then at the time my uncle's a dentist as well and he said you know you should do the same subjects as a prerequisite for dentistry just in case just do it so i did a, a new pharmacy i didn't have to try as much to get in i guess the gp wasn't as high so um i just didn't put as much effort in and and then at the end, I just put down dentistry as my first preference because that's what my parents told me to do, not expecting to get in. I was like, oh, I'll just put them, just, just make them happy. And I just got in. And, <laughs> and, for, and for me, I was like, I'm a fraud. Like, I just felt like um, I'm, not meant, I'm not good enough, I guess. Uh, that, that was um, something that I need to realize now looking back, um, that sort of mindset, that sort of in a critic, I guess, um, just thinking that, just like I said before, looking at um, these amazing people who, you know, are just high achievers and then there's me. <laughs> but no, to to totally relate. That, yeah, that was my exact thoughts. Like no one in my family had done uni and to be a doctor or dentist is, well, my sister's actually done really success successful through her university degrees, but at similar timing and, you know, all I saw, like a dentist and a doctor was just this level that I thought was impossible, literally. And I, so postgrad, which is what allowed me to get in, I would never have got in with an OP, not a chance. And um, so then when I get in, I'm like, oh, God, I'm not good enough for this. And then so my way of reacting was just to be like obsessive about my like getting passing basically. And so I, I inadvertently did well but it was actually because I was insecure. <laughs> and like in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense. But um so, all right. So you got through. Um, you got in. You got through. Um, played a lot of pool. You then went <laughs> to work uh, with each other in the public service. Is that right? Yeah. Like um, first year out, I think um, we sort of took it easy. We didn't want to go to private practice. 
for me, there's a bit of fear as well. Like, you know, you don't want to treat patients for the first time. Ones are paying for your service. Once again, the feeling of I'm not good enough to treat patients who are paying for what I do. Um, so, yeah, so we decided to um, move up to the sunny coast together and live together for a year. Um, so it was us and our two other mates, and we all lived together for a year and just worked in uh, the, the, the public sector up there. Sounds like a fun year. Um, <laughs> finally have some money. and <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I, I think we were all in relationships, so we never actually spent the weekend up there. We always drove yes, back yes. Every, yeah, every, every weekend. So, um, yeah, so we never actually spent that much time, except for during weekdays. We did take a few cities to play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was a, good, uh, good. some of the highlights. Yeah. Um, so the way you started that is, you know, we took it easy a little bit, you know, got into the public, but like in my mind, I see that as this, all these challenges. I've never worked in public apart from uni days and, you know, I'd find that daunting for different reasons, but, um, one, would you recommend it? And yeah, two, any advice for someone? Cause obviously there's a lot of people going straight into public right now. Yeah. For, for me personally, I thought it was the best thing. It was sort of just easing my way into it, just removing that stress, that pressure, I guess, to perform. Um, I, I guess for us, it was easy because our final year was working in the public anyways, and then just continuing that for an, another year. Um, I think it was good in giving for myself experience in things such as basic needs like extractions and getting really good at that um, because I feel like, that's your bread and butter. And that's something that, you know, you're not going to get better experience or better exposure, I guess, than in, in the public sector. Um, and also just um, just trying different things out um, and just speed and getting used to that as well. So, um, yeah, I, I do remember working in the public sector that, sector that um, I got in trouble a bit for being too fast and um i think Making a lot everyone of the, look bad <laughs> yeah i think a lot of the other assistants were sort of um yeah just complaining about me just sitting in the lunchroom and then my senior dentist said just help me out just sit in your clinic just sit sit in, sit in your surgery just don't sit out here <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> oh, fair enough fair enough um all right so public it then takes you on some different paths um, and I want to explore that a little bit because I think it's a great foundation for all the stuff we're going to talk about later and your advice around mindfulness and and um, dealing with emotions and mental health. Um, tell us about your, your pathways. We'll get a little bit into each of them. Sure. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so obviously my, my pathway was that first year of public and, um, yeah, I mean, if you found it easy, I still found it very challenging to be honest. I'll tell you, I was pretty academic, but I think I found the, um, me personally, I, I think I found the um, actual clinical dentistry side of things um, quite challenging um, from the get-go. Um, I was always an academic, so I think, again, um, yeah, really, really challenging um, to switch across to hands-on. Can I ask, did you find that that, only took a little bit longer or do you would you say you still find that a challenge or like um and i'm thinking um for the person who's feeling the same way right now absolutely no i'd say if i'm honest like i still find some like i think trying trickier procedures i think and this has definitely got a mental health um angle i think i um am more hesitant like for example to try a more complex procedure like me personally i i don't want to try say like a sinus lift like I don't want to do 
um, complex surgery. And I, and I, if I'm honest, I don't have a passion for it, but I also don't see myself doing it because I just don't see that's not where my interest lies. So, but yeah, absolutely. I'd say I still find it challenging. Um, and luckily, I've got yet as a, as as a you know, in a practice <laughs> he comes in and helps me out now and again. But no, I feel I feel confident with what I do. But I think trying trying yeah newer and more complex procedures, I'd say I'd, I'd probably be a bit hesitant. And I definitely know where that I've done the the introspection to see where that comes from. Um, not to say that I can learn. I'm very open to learning. Yeah, yeah I love that answer, and I think that it's nice reassurance for many of us who yeah feel the same way but never actually express that. Which, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I think it's no, yeah, that's thanks for giving me. Yeah, I agree with you to have the opportunity just to admit that openly. Like, I'm, I'm really happy to be vulnerable and say, yeah, I, I don't feel confident around certain procedures and I um, would avoid them or refer them off. Um, not to be <laughs> avoidant, but like, because there's a really hard balance, isn't it? When you're serving a, a patient, you want to give that patient the best. And if you know that's that, say, another dentist um, in your team, is going to be far superior to you at that specific um, thing. Let's say, for example, root canal. Um, you might be inclined to refer it in-house or even, even to a specialist, but I do feel that there needs to be a, a point where you do give things a go as well. That's, yeah, and that's defining that balance is hard. Yeah, I was going to mention that as well. There's definitely a balance because obviously, um, you know, we could always refer everything away because there's always someone more experienced as well. But um, yeah, no, they're really, really good points. So, so a year public... What, where'd you go after that? So I um, I then did um, one and a half years private in Brisbane. Um, and then I, I always had a travel bug. So I, I had this dream um, from, I think even before dental school, that just had this inner voice that was just constant, which just was saying, you've got to see the whole world. And it was, really, it was actually quite strong, this voice. So I... Yeah, that was my dream in my 20s. I wanted to see the whole world. So I quit my job, uh, my private job, uh, after a year and a half and travelled for six months, um, seven months around the world, uh, mainly Europe. And that trip was it was India, Africa and Europe. Um, and then I um, came back and, I again, I was still feeling like moving, so I just packed my car with my belongings and I drove to Melbourne. Um, I was living in Brisbane, drove to Melbourne. I didn't have a job. I think I was on the phone to, to potential jobs on the car ride down. I just drove myself down over a couple of days. Yeah, over a couple of days. Yeah, okay. Yeah, two days. Stayed in my mate Skip's place. Shout out to Skip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sat, sat at his place uh, halfway. He's in Sydney. Um, he was very gracious to, to look after me. Um, and then I, uh, yeah, just, just rock. I remember just driving into Melbourne at about 10 p.m. And then, yeah, I actually was lucky enough to get a job in the first three or four days I was there. Uh, out in Lilydale, uh, and yeah, I worked there for a year and a half. And when I was there, I once again got this like unrelenting feeling to have to travel again. Um, and I was actually I was actually in China at the time. I was on a holiday in China, and um, I remember I was I was actually sleeping on the Great Wall of China overnight, which is really cool. And then and then this message came saying, "Yeah, I've got to go to London." So. I had this overwhelming feeling that I got to move to London. So I did. I um I packed my belongings, drove back to Brisbane, and I moved to London for Did you stay at Skip's place on the way up? I did. <laughs> I did. He packed me a very good, He's um, a good man. lunch. He's a good man, Skip. <laughs> and then I uh, I I then yeah, I moved to uh, I went to London for a sabbatical. 
for again it was open-ended mm. um 18 months 18 month trip um based in london did, um, did you do dentistry there nope no, sure. yeah. Sorry, yeah, you said sabbatical. I just wanted to confirm that. Yeah, because a lot of people, a lot of the people we've interviewed um, are older, older than us and I'll, I'll, we're in the same basket. They're, they were able to go to London and, and work as a dentist yeah. and that obviously was cut off a long time ago. So it was, Yeah, you had to graduate before 2000, I think. And so oh, there you go. No. Yeah, because we graduated at 05, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't work as a dentist. I think I worked in, a, in an insurance firm for four hours and I quit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I worked at a pub afterwards because I realised that wasn't for me. And then I, I worked in, um, I was interested in finance and stocks. So I worked in um, options trading for a little while, um, which was, yeah, it felt like I, once I realised it was like throwing darts at a dartboard, I, uh, I, I very gently removed my, you know, myself from that and just, just started travelling um, for, for that time, yeah. Yeah, just embraced it completely. I think that's yeah. That's awesome. Do you, um, it's really hard in this time with COVID-19, you know, obviously international borders are still very much shut, um, but do you recommend people do that before dentistry or after the way you did it? Travelling? Yeah. Um, I think... Probably both would be my answer. Yeah. Do, do, do both. Yeah, that, that was a softball, wasn't it? I didn't mean to. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, well, I was I was lucky enough to do it when I was sixteen as well. So yes, lucky okay. enough to do three months overseas. So I think that's where I got the bug to travel. But no, I'd say both. But I think the the positive, the, obviously, a huge advantage in doing it post graduation, and I think post being fairly established in your skill. So I think for the new grads out there, I wouldn't recommend going straight away. I'd say spend one and a half to two or even three years establishing some level of competency so when you come back you're not freaking out <laughs> yeah that's actually that makes a lot of sense um yeah, i did a bit of travel in between because i had the fortune of doing seven years not five years of um university so um between the three-year degree and the four-year degree I, I spent a bit of time overseas met my wife it worked out very well oh, um, nice. cool <laughs> now do you the, you talk about the travel bug i just want to get this out because i think it's a really important topic like everyone thinks about this stuff um and you know, we don't know a lot of other dentists who've really done it because most are just straight into work and then just work forever, right? Um, do you still get that bug in the same way? Um, and are you still taking chunks of time? Well, that was my first sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> so then I, well, I'll finish the story. I'll wrap it up a bit quicker. I, I, uh, I, came, I came back from London and that's when I received the job at Viet's practice. Mm-hmm. Um through Mel, uh, she was she is the owner uh, and now Viet's uh, a partner. Um, Viet was an associate there, um, so that's how I started working with Viet in 2012. Um, and I worked there for three years. And it's actually Mel who got into my head, and she's like, "Sure, you know, if I were you, I like, why don't you travel again?" I'm like, "Mel, that's brilliant because uh, <laughs> you, that's, you know, that's, yeah, yeah." Um, she trying well, to get rid of me? <laughs> well, it's funny because then when. It, I, I think she didn't realize how seriously I took it. And then uh, I actually, um, this, this say second sabbatical um, was really, that was the, it was the game changer. So maybe we'll talk about it later. I think you might be asking more about that later, but the, that was the game changer sabbatical because it was, it was um, really different. So um, I, I, again, quit everything, quit, quit my job. So there's no job to come back to um, just packed a backpack and this time I bought a one-way ticket um, to India, of all places, um, I, and I went purely on a whim. So I, again, sounds a little bit woo-woo, but I was literally, I was going through a lot of things at the time, so I was feeling quite unfulfilled, 
with dentistry and with life in general. I was feeling fairly unfulfilled. And I actually sat down and just said, what do I do? And then an inner voice said, you got to go to India. And I was like, India? I don't, I don't, like my origin, I'm of, of Indian origin, um, like, like, my ancestors i'm from africa but uh, my ancestors from from india so and i've been to mumbai and i've been to delhi and i didn't like it i i, I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with india um because i got so sick there the, the time <laughs> yeah. i went back in the the first lot of travel i did uh the six month one um but this inner voice is quite relentless um it was very strong uh and i was like all right looks like i'm going to india and um Oh, yeah, I bought a one-way ticket to a, to a particular city and I received, again, that, that city, it came to rather serendipitous, serendipitously. Um, uh, English wasn't my first language. Yeah, I landed in the city with a backpack and no clue about what was in, what was in front of me. And maybe we'll talk about the trip later, but that trip lasted <laughs> 18 months uh, and that was the big one. And then... I, uh, I came back. So to answer your question, the trouble bug, I would say actually now, I am really, I'm actually quite satisfied. I, I feel really fulfilled. Um, and I know I'm very blessed because of this time. So I feel insensitive saying that because it's such a hard time right now with a lack of travel. So I feel very, very lucky. I feel very blessed with the travel I've done. So the answer I'd say is yeah, anyone wants to travel when the borders open up, of course, I think everyone's going to go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair enough. You came back to dentistry. Mm. Why? Because <laughs> I need money. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm it's a pretty fair answer. Let's be honest. We're we're lucky. We we own well, and sometimes that's what f- allows you to do the trips you've done. Well, yeah, I was. And I hadn't set myself up. You know, I, I still needed to to you know. Yeah, like pay my bills basically. Um, but I came back to dentistry. That, that was a half a joke. I came back to dentistry um, because yeah, I I did well when when I felt because I said I was quite unfulfilled when I left. Um, I actually the, the initial reason of leaving, I actually wanted to find purpose. I was like, that was the one of my my DA asked me, she's what are you going? I'm like, I just want to find a, a deeper purpose behind all of this. Um, and she's like, but you're a dentist, like. What do you mean? You've got purpose, like, and of course, a lot of my friends and family, like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, they were quite perplexed. Uh, you know, I think uh, obviously my Indian mother was very perplexed uh, as to why her son is, is, you know, is is you know quitting a, a high earning job and and going on this journey. But um, I came I came back to dentistry because it was because um, I because I, well, I I found what I was looking for when I was out there. So. Um, I actually told myself I wouldn't come back until I found what I was looking for, um, and I did. And then it was um, it was funny. I was already, I think, uh, booking my flights back, and that's literally the same day Viet messaged me saying, "Hey, bro, do you get your job back?" And I was like, "Well, that's because <laughs> I'm coming. I'm booking my flights back." So yeah, it worked out well. That's that's incredible, incredible timing. It obviously had some meaning behind it. Um, yeah. When we when we briefly discussed um, before the interview, you said, "Oh, you know," and I just did the traditional way. And, but <laughs> <laughs> you say it like that's nothing. Like such an important story still it still shapes us. It still has its struggles and its successes. And tell us, you know, what, what did you do after the the public and um, public work in Southern Shine Coast? Yeah. So after. Um, yeah, after that year on the sunny coast, yeah, we we all decided to part ways a bit, and we all went on in our own direction, I guess. Um, and so I ended up uh, on the Gold Coast <laughs> in, in a private job, just from coast to coast. Um, 
that was a real eye opener. And I think, um, yeah, it was a totally like it was the other end of the spectrum of the work I was doing on the Sunshine Coast. Mm. Um, because up there I was doing a lot more extractions and your Fuji fillings and things like that. And then on the Gold Coast, everyone wants like a small makeover, zoom mm. whitening and that sort of stuff. So it's very strong cosmetic driven sort of practice. Um, so for me, that was, that was tough. And I, it was also tough because um, it was a newer practice and they sort of relied on me to build it up a bit and, I think newer grads these days, they sort of look for that mentorship and things like that. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for um, my boss to give me the time when he could and I could watch him. But um, a lot of the times I was by myself and that was, I, I think, yeah, it sort of hit me a bit hard, I guess. Uh, it was a bit of a struggle um, down there. How did you make that transition? Like there's so much, you know, considering the, the differences in clinical practice, there is a lot to learn going into a co- more cosmetically driven, but there's also the patient expectation side of things and and the, there's so many additional challenges. How did you manage that? Did you just become a CPD junkie and just go nuts or did you <laughs> like, yeah, it's a challenge. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm not the most studious defenders <laughs> out there. Um, but yeah, like for me, um, I think I was very good at hiding my anxiety and whatnot. Like, um, yeah, so I think I just sort of winked my way through it, um, just communicating well, I guess, and just creating those connections with the team and um, the patients as best as possible um, and just not letting them see my fear. <laughs> um, like, um, I, I, like I remember my first veneer, um down there because i'd never done one before i'd never did one in dental school and obviously i wouldn't have done it in public and my two first veneers were on my boss he just goes i need some veneers and he said just sprung it on me last second and i started doing it and um yeah that's that's how i learned like um <laughs> just threw him in the deep end he goes now you know and then just do that again for nearly every patient there <laughs> um, so yeah so I, I think I was very lucky um, in that I sort of relied a bit on my communication I guess and I think that's what people are you know a lot of these courses these days on communication is the biggest part of dentistry right so uh, um, you know and I think that's something that is very, very important, uh, I believe. Um, communication, the, the only downside is like people put so much emphasis on communication for the patient, but there's, you know, as we'll talk later, there's communication with the team as well, which is just as important. So Yeah, exactly. Um, you also mentioned uh, like focusing on the relationships. Yeah, yeah you're talking about the team. You, you, you were thinking about that early. Was that a purpose early on? Like was that purposeful is a better word or did you just, just it just was you and it worked out? I think it was part of me that, like, I'm quite a bit of an introvert myself. Um, but, yeah, for some reason, I think it's more that practice. I think the types of people that were there sort of um, sort of fed that side to make, make it a bit more comfortable, a bit easier, I guess, because at the time I was working part-time there and part-time at another place um, more uh, west, I guess. Um, and I probably wasn't as good as communication at that place. Um, so I put it down to the other people that I worked with 
it's only now looking back, I realized no, that's just me. Like I just made a decision like um, to open up at one place, but not the other um, just because how I felt about it, I guess. I guess choosing the environment clearly matters. And, and, and that is like when we're choosing our first jobs and, and things, those things will impact on how we communicate, how we grow as a person as well. I think I just want to highlight something. I think it's useful that other people <clears throat> listening, you kind of were thrown in the deep end a little bit. Was that practice? But, and, and you, it worked, if you know what I mean. I, I know it's yeah. a strange thing to highlight, but I, I think that is part of our growth as a graduate uh, for many of us. And and we we get through. And if you're listening and you're a student, you're following, you, you'll get through, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. I'm truly grateful for that experience. Like it's given me so much insight and skills wise, like I'm more comfortable doing those cases because I got exposed to so so much of it so um yeah i wouldn't trade the experience for, for the world like it, it was meant, meant to be like at the time i was you know scared but you know a lot of times you know we're sort of caught in the emotion in the moment but then afterwards when we get out of it we look back and go you know we can see it with a different perspective so truly grateful for that and obviously the other practice while i may not have felt as positive about it i'm still grateful for that because it's still um you still learn something from each place. Yeah, absolutely. And we keep alluding to what we're going to talk about later. So let's actually <laughs> just open some of those can of worms right now. Anxiety early on, um, we're doing a new procedure. Um, you, you said you, you were pretty good at managing um, your nerves and not letting people kind of know or see. Um, in the context of that, do you have advice for graduates and students in exactly the same spot? Yeah, like that's that's a big one for, for us. There's, there's so, so many aspects let's- of it. Open up that can of worms and we'll, we will get back to the stories as well. Yeah. Um, I guess like where, 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 where do you think we should yeah, start? Yeah, I was trying to think of where to start. That's because, yeah, so the question is, is yeah, you're a new grad and you're feeling anxious around these, these, these procedures that you're doing, um, yeah, for the first time. I think um, <laughs> it's a really good question. Um, I can see why I've yet passed it to me. That's very good. <laughs> um, I think like, I guess, well, let's look at that the way We've, we've structured things um, just a general, like a general approach to that. I think kind of like what Viet was doing in his first practice and that, that challenging practice of, and this is a tough question, I'm realising, as we say, <laughs> I had to think, I had to think this through. Because we will, we're definitely going to explore this a bit wider and, you know, get, you know, go through kind of the process that you think about. But I guess just to start, like, because that's something I relate to as well. It's just that I was able to hide my nerves and and get through those difficult situations did you have any like specific techniques that you used for it or was that just innate early on um for me it was my life (laughs) so that was just (laughs) uh, for me i was just very good at hiding it so i was just using that so to be honest if if someone was assisting me back then and assisting me now on the outside i probably look very similar like how I communicate and everything on the inside, totally different. So previously, yeah, I would have been stressing. I would have been thinking about the complicated extraction that's coming up, you know, in two weeks time, even, uh, whereas now it's a bit different. And I think it's like, I know, I know what you're trying to ask and that, you know, sometimes we all want a quick fix, but it's, um, it's, it's multifactorial. Well, like it's, I'm thinking about the question. I think they're actually, you know, like how, how, what to tell a new grad that's anxious about a new procedure. I'd say you've got to be. 
like you just you, like you I don't think you can actually not be anxious so if I'm a new grad and I'm doing a cram prep for the first time my advice would actually be make sure you have a mentor close by so make sure that you have um hopefully your your senior dentists are, are near you um so that would be my advice that, I think that's that's actually how I approach it so if I had a difficult procedure like a like a new for a new grad I think a cram prep on a pain patient for the first time I'd say would be relatively stressful. I think for, for me it was when I think back. Um, or saying uh, doing a sur- doing a surgical uh, extraction and was was quite stressful, of course, um, the early in the early days. So my answer is actually you're going to probably be anxious anyway. So to make sure that you have a mentor nearby, I'd say that would probably that that helped me that eased my my um, fear a lot. Especially when I was in Melbourne, I had a really really great um, mentor for oral surgery. Um, so I felt. That's where I learned my like my surgical skills. So my, my answer would be that you're probably not going to be able to get away from that anxiety as mm. a new grad. I think maybe there's a certain level of acceptance. Yeah, and it's okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that that if you're not actually if you're not anxious, and you're either a you're brilliant and congratulations, like well done. Uh, I'm a little bit envious of you. <laughs> uh, or b maybe you're not realizing that the the, the level of um, you know, skill that's required for that particular procedure. Yeah, yeah. With all respect to everybody, I think um, it, it like I think one of Yet's um, sayings to me a lot of the time is, "Shrag is like he's like it's because you care so much. That's why you're anxious." So I think a certain level of anxiety would be healthy. Like I think for, I mean a, a metaphor that I've heard is when Michael Jackson, uh, Michael Jordan, is shooting free throws. This is Michael Jordan, the best, you know, arguably the best basketball ever. He would still be anxious shooting that free throw. So a certain level of anxiety is healthy. I think that needs to be really clear. So uh, I think um, anxiety is a good thing uh, in the right dose. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's actually really, that, that's a good answer because it, it's normal. It's okay. And, mm. and people need to know that too. Yeah. I, I think from our perspective, it's just um, reducing the sort of background anxiety that sort of adds to it. Like, and I totally agree with Sherrod. Like, um, no matter what you do, you're working on another human being. Um, it's normal to care and normal to sort of stress because, you know, it's just crazy what we do day in, day out. And so it is okay to be stressed and, and anxious, and especially something doing something different, not something new. Um, but as Sherrod uh, said, it's, it's always helpful to have that support. Um, someone to back you and support you when you do make that mistake, I think, just having that supportive environment. Um, because, you know, when something bad happens, you're always going to be your worst judge. You know, you're going to judge yourself the most anyways. Um, but you want someone there to sort of help pick you up a bit and just say that, you know, mistakes happen and just things do go wrong. Um, it's just part of dentistry. It's part of life. Um, mm. So, it's okay to be anxious. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay not to be perfect. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. <laughs> relates so I can relate so well to that. We've all been bailed out. We've all needed that support. It's so important. You said reducing background um, stresses to to try to assist you through. Do you want to explore that a little bit? Um, yeah. So I think that sort of relates back to the whole mindfulness um, topic that you know we want to talk about. I guess it's just making sure that the stress that you're feeling is just the stress that you're having in the moment. And 
not the stress of, you know, having that patient outside that you're running 10 minutes late for or the distraction that you mucked up the patient before because that's what it adds to it, I guess, and that's what hangs over our head and we sort of get stuck in our heads um, sometimes um, because of that. So it's just making sure that the stress is, you know, as Shrike said, there's stress that's normal and there's stress that's, you know, sometimes we look at it as, you know, unnecessary, I guess. Yeah, if I can add to that, like I think the, the, the science behind it, like if we, I think I mean, the new grads will be really good at this because they've just done the science. Like the traditional fight or flight response, right, is if we, let's, if we look back at the evolution of the brain, um, if you have, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, if you're being chased by a lion, you need your fight or flight um, to kick in pretty quick, right? You want your your sympathetic nervous system to kick in to release that adrenaline so your heart rate can go up and you can run from this lion or fight it if you're brave. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that, so it's a brilliant system that we have. Um, the system is so fast that when the response hits the, you know, the brainstem, the amygdala, uh, by the time the, the adrenaline's in your blood before you've thought about it. So it's a really wonderful system. The issue is in the modern day we have stresses outside of work. So we've got relationships, <laughs> you know, family and relationships, financial stress. Uh, I think in the very modern day, I think we didn't experience this when we were new grads. There was, there was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. I think social media is, is a huge issue. Uh, I think isolation is, is a huge issue that we probably didn't have when we were new grads because we, we hung out a lot more, I feel, than, than people do these days. Um, so what I'm going to talk about is, is the next, in, in, again, the new grads already know this, the secondary response is called the HPA axis. That's where you release cortisol, right? So cortisol is not a bad hormone, but um, too much uh, can be very detrimental to your health. So dentistry is a very stressful profession. I think we're going to agree that in general, it, it can be. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. So what's happening is that it's good to know that our systems have a lot of cortisol in them during the day as a dentist. And I think that's what we can talk about in terms of the background anxiety. If we have techniques to reduce, to switch that sympathetic nervous system off and to switch on the parasympathetic nervous system, if we had a technique that we could do in between patients so we could dampen that down, we could significantly dampen down our background stress. Now, if you include these practices outside of work as well, you're, you're turning up to work, um, let's say, let's say a, a more um, a balanced autonomic nervous system. And that's, I don't know, I went back into the science there, but that's, that's how we can deal with um, the background stress from a scientific perspective. And let's be honest, like most of us, when we hear things for the first time, like mindfulness, I know I, I'm, I'm a skeptic of heart and when i originally heard it i was like oh what's this and then i and then i got fully deeply exposed to it through particularly through the entrepreneur space and then through podcasts through um you know tons of different things a lot of meditation um and and actually through some of the meditation apps and guiding apps they kind of helped me understand a little bit but for someone who doesn't know a lot about you know the, just the basics i guess of mindfulness and, and we'll get into a bit of the practices and the that technique you just talked about between patients um for someone who doesn't know much about it give like a bit of an overview and um yeah how people can learn i guess a bit more yeah um yeah, so, yeah, an overview of, of mindfulness so i think yeah the cool thing about mindfulness is that it's it is it's been practiced for millennia so um, and that's what I got exposed to. I, I know I spoke about science then, but I'm actually um, uh, 
really passionate about the the ancient philosophy behind mindfulness. Um, you know, I think um, Viet very uh, you know has been good uh, to tell me, hey man, like maybe you should look at the science as well. Um, so I'm actually really passionate about the the ancient side of things. So the background of mindfulness has been it's been around for for, for a long time uh, for for millennia, um, but in in terms of a simple overview of what it is, um, I think it's the idea of um, somehow being able to be being present in, in the moment um, in a non-judgmental fashion. Uh, and that does sound, to the sceptic out there, I can feel them throwing the book at the wall, like saying, what do you mean, man, like be present? Like that's all, you know, new age woo-woo stuff. Like I, I feel you. Like I, I, I was the same. I was, as I said, I might, this is where I got, I got exposed to it on that trip where I got to sit, sit with yogis and, and they, they taught me from the ancient side. And luckily, being a scientist, I was, I was sceptical. <laughs> um, you know, like yourself, you said, I, I'm a sceptic. So I went into the science as well. I'm not a sceptic yeah. now, by the way. Uh, just okay. so you know. yeah. 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 Uh, and I, what happened to me was I actually, I practiced what they told me to practice. Um, I did it kind of with a bit of blind faith. Um, and it worked for me. Um, so I, it, it worked for me um, in terms of I saw actual changes um, and this is obviously anecdotal because it just it's the study is n equals one, it's just me. Um, and I actually saw changes in myself from the ancient philosophies. And then when I came back, I noticed all well, my eyes were open a bit more. And I noticed that this is very much, you know, being talked about as mindfulness um, with all the apps and meditation apps. The, the, uh, you know, there's, there's a yoga studio on, on every corner almost, you know, these days uh, in, 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 the, uh, in the city suburbs. Um, so I think... Um, to, to talk a bit more about the mindfulness, I think it's both an ancient technique uh, and the modern day has, has called it, you know, mindfulness. Um, it's really just about, um, you know, practising the present moment um, and using techniques like you mentioned with, with meditation. Um, we, we talk a lot about breathing. Um, that's going to be a lot about the technique we talk about and also um, introspection. So um, just looking within initially to see where you're at. It's something, as I said, I've uh, I've had some exposure to, and I've, I've found it profoundly beneficial. Like so, as I said, not not skeptic anymore. <laughs> um, it, particularly for me, in my you know, I haven't had the experiences you've had. I think we'll touch on that right at the end. We'll get we'll just get you to tell us what you went and did. But um, yeah, just through I guess really just through meditation. But I guess through some of the meditation I've done, they're walking you through that process of being in the present. Um, is that is that um, how, do you, how do I ask this? What do you want people to be thinking about when you talk about mindfulness? Those three things that you just mentioned. What should they be thinking about doing? If that makes sense. We think about doing. What three things? Introspection. introspection. Yeah. So for me, like I'll, I'm just going to speak from personal experience um, with my journey with mindfulness. Um, I spent a lot of time. I think that background noise um, that we were talking about before, a lot of it, uh, the thoughts that sort of run around in our heads uh, from moment to moment, and it sort of takes away from how you see life and what you get out of life. And, and when it comes to dentistry, it, um, I didn't realise at the time, um, but with mindfulness, um, it's 
for me, there's a whole lot of introspection. So just looking at what it is that's in my mind right at this moment um, and is it true? Like, I guess, um, you know, what is the intention? What is the purpose of these thoughts in my mind? Um, you know, it, it had a profound effect on me just because of the fact that I realised that there are times when I was spending time with my kids when I was physically there, but mentally I was thinking about the practice, the work that I was doing. And, you know, while we think that that's not going to have effect on someone, it does. Like, um, you know, it's when you sort of see it like at the time, like, you know, I'll, I'll get it personal, but I felt like my kids and I weren't connected. Like I was there. Like I, I was, you know, I tried to be there, um, you know, at home spending time with them and everything. But in my mind, I was at work. You know, I was thinking about the practice, you know, obviously bills to pay, as Shirag said. Um, and, you know, kids can feel that. They feel when you're not there, like, with them. And that's the same with other people too, like other, um, you know, whoever you spend time with. If you're somewhere else, um, you know, they will feel like, oh, like there's that lack of connection there. Um, so for me, that introspection is just realizing that there's a lot of thoughts there that's unnecessary. And, you know, what do I go about? Like, what do I need to focus on? I guess, like, just like what you said, and what I need to focus on is right now. Like, what am I doing right now? Like if I'm spending time with the kids, just spend time with the kids. Uh, if, if I'm doing this filling, that's all I'm doing. Um, you know, so you know, that's probably the biggest change for me. And it's sort of a weight that gets lifted off my shoulders, I guess. Um, yeah. it's, so that's, yeah. It's something that's, I think that must be so relevant to every single person listening and definitely myself. And it's so easy for us to forget. Like think you're talking about, you know, social media. And it's like, well, we have this computer in our pocket, right? That we're, we're on that if we're not doing something so if we're waiting yeah. for the train or the bus yeah. but usually if we're just like sitting around the table with our family it's like these things can so easily creep into our life how did you um what, when you say you know the introspection is what really helped you in this what were you doing and what i mean by that were, were you putting aside some time to do that or was it um how did that look uh for me i did a bit of journaling um i saw a started it with um read a book by sean acor um the, the the happiness advantage and he sort of listed a few things that you know talking about you know changing your brain making it positive um and there was a few points there and one of it was um just writing down something positive from the day and just writing a few things and i added just writing down a few things from the day but also what i was thinking at that point in time as well just to get an idea of what was actually running through my head um, that was the beginning that I realized there's a lot of stuff there that's, like I said, unnecessary. Uh, it's sort of a real eye-opener as to um, the types of things that I was sort of writing down, I guess, um, and how I felt about myself and, um, you know, my life in, in general. Um, these, from that, I sort of... I sort of went a, a different level with introspection where I sort of analyzed um, every time I had a conversation with someone afterwards, I sort of played it back and sort of thought about was I 
sort of present with them. Like what was, what were the thoughts running through my head? Was I actually there? Because a lot of times, you know, when we talk to someone, we're sort of thinking about something else. You know, we're thinking about how we respond, um, you know, where we, whether we judge people sometimes on what they're saying um, or we're thinking about we've got to do something else. And I think for me, it's just realising that a lot of times I was sort of um, quite mechanical in my communication. Like while I thought I was okay, you know, for a long time, I sort of played out every single conversation I had in my head. Like I sort of planned it out, um, you know, what the other person would say, what I would say, um, and that was just tiring. <laughs> it was mentally draining. And I realized, um, you know, why I was doing that um, and sort of touched on the topic uh, that we sort of go on about in our um, sort of workshop. And that's um, still that feeling of not feeling good enough, like I want to impress someone. And that sort of, that was the rhetoric that was going through my head that I realized when I was sort of introspecting. Um, yeah. You said it felt like a weight off your shoulders. Did you feel like the the ability then to be present and not worry about the next thing to say or the way the conversation goes? Is that what you mean? And has that, like, that's obviously been the life-changing part of this? Yeah, it's just letting go of that need for control, like just letting life be and letting conversations flow. Um, it's the reason why, like, we probably haven't given, like, so much information about this talk right now. Like, we've just... Um, you know, beforehand, we just let it go, like whatever will be, will be. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's probably the biggest change in my life. Like it's just, um, and that's obviously applying not just conversation, but just in dentistry, like not overthinking, you know, what's going to happen with this next patient. Mm. Um, it's just letting it come to you and just accepting it and being grateful, I guess, and just knowing that whether it's good or bad, once again, that's a perspective um but just like i said being grateful and it's all an opportunity if it's something that goes wrong it's an opportunity to learn um and but just looking at in the moment um seeing for what it is yes i'm so glad we're having this conversation because um, i'm hearing you talk and i'm i'm hearing the things that i have, have learned and been motivated and, and been active in um trying to improve on but then have let that go and and so what would you suggest to people who are exposed to this or, or what actually I'll, I'll change that a little bit you said you kind of want to just let this be but if there are obviously really key messages that you guys want to get out there that's why you're on this podcast that's why you're doing your workshops and you're trying to help dennis what are those really key messages let's go through a little bit of that i want to make sure that that's in here for the people listening if they've got this far they're desperate to hear yeah i think Probably the key message will start from our stories and the reason why um, mm. we started the journey, the mental health perspective and looking into that. Mm. Um, like obviously, like I told my story with high school and uni and whatnot, and I'll continue on from that really. Um, you know, as I went through um, each private practice, as we sort of spoke about, there's a lot of stresses that add on to it. And I thought that that was normal. Um, and I sort of dealt with it and said, this is the way life's got to be. Um, but then each chapter in life, you know, I got married, I had kids and, um, each thing sort of adds a different layer of stress. And so then it got to around 2014. Um, so this whole time, 
I was probably um, sort of like treading water, like just keep my head above water. As long as I wasn't drowning, I was okay. Like, I, like yeah. so I didn't really put that much time. I just kept on grinding away, going through dentistry, um, you know, just being stressed and going, this is, this is life. This is what life's going to be. Um, and in 2014, uh, as I touched on before, um, one of our nurses that worked for us, um, she took her own life. Um, and for me, it was hard because um, I was quite close to her. Um, and she was, you know, she, from the outside, it just came out of nowhere. Like um, you wouldn't expect it. She was studying dentistry at the time as well. Um, yeah, she's quite social, had heaps of friends, um, achieving a GPA of six, sixes and sevens. So she's doing really well. So um, on the surface, you would think, why? Why would she even do that? And I, I thought the same. And, um, yeah, and then I was, her parents only wanted a very small funeral, even though she had a lot of friends. And um, I was one of the few people that got invited. And it, it, it really, um, it really surprised me. And um, I felt honoured, of course. And, um, and then I, I asked her sister, I go, ah, oh, I, I can't believe you invited me. Like I, I didn't think that, you know, I didn't feel, feel like I, I meant that much to her as a friend, I guess. And then she, and she goes, why? Like um, she spoke about, Kirsten spoke about you all the time. Like she's, and she said she loved working with you, had lots of laughs, and she said she learned so much from you. And I was at that point, I sort of thought, huh, like I miss so much. And I sort of felt that, um, you know, maybe I could have been the one, maybe I could have been the one to save her. And, and that was tough. And that was, that was sort of around the time when I felt like I was drowning a bit. Um, it was also around the same time that um, I got offered partnership into my practice. And so that added a different layer of stress again on top of that, um, as all practice owners will know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so with, with that, um, I made a decision that I wouldn't let that happen in our practice again. Like I wouldn't let someone I know, get to that stage, I guess. And I wanted to sort of drive this positive culture and whatnot, um, not realizing that that was impossible when I was drowning myself. Like, um, yeah. And in 2015, I was, after I became an owner, I was just, um, it was tough. Like I, I took, I went home early some days, um, just cancelled my patients, got to work and just didn't feel like it. Um, at lunchtime, I sort of drove down to the point and just sat there and sort of, um, you know, questioned my own life and my own reason for living. And, yeah, and I think um, like no one else knew about it. No one else struggled. Like I, I didn't um, let anyone know and but I was also waiting for someone to come and save me. Um, but obviously no, no one didn't. And, you know, I was very fortunate to come to the realization that if I wanted things to change, I would have to 
work on it myself. I have to look at, you know, what is it that I'm doing that could be different. Um, and so from that, you know, it's probably, <laughs> it's actually one of the first times that I've actually started reading books outside of, you know, uni and school. And yeah, I just, just went hard. Like, um, you know, sure, I will tell his story soon. And, you know, I'm very envious that he got to go away and spend that time. But I tried to cram as much as I could into every single day, just learning, learning what I could be doing myself. Um, you know, not to say that this is the way to go and everyone should do this. Um, I was very lucky that it sort of worked for me and there's a lot of trial and error, applying things and seeing things not work and then going back to the drawing board. Um, but, yeah, but, you know, there's a reason why we've sort of started what we're starting now um, because, you know, it's made such a huge difference in my life just making that decision to um, sort of make my own mental health a priority, um, yeah, and come out the other side, knowing that I'm not the finished product uh, and it still needs constant work every single day. Um, but just to be here, truly grateful, and obviously talking about it as well. Um, but, yeah, so that's probably where my story sort of started with um, everything that we'll talk about. But, such but, a strong message to share. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing that. And then, obviously, what you what you're doing with all this work is so valuable to so many people who are probably sitting there thinking, I'm, "I've not been thinking about this and my own mental health, my own presence for a long time." Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's something that I did not even realize until that moment until I realized, until it came to me, I guess. Um, you know, mental health, yeah, never even crossed my mind. <laughs> like, I just thought it was normal when real, until afterwards I go, oh, there's actually a better kind of normal. Um, so, yeah. Shirag, your story was different that you got to actually travel at that time. You're in India um, and you found your purpose. Tell us how you found your purpose. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, going on, so thanks, oh, Viet. Please, yeah. that, was, no, that was really good. And, and I think um, that's the point that came up for me but from what Viet said. I think it's like, I think mental health, what I've realised, is that there's obviously a huge range, you know. Um, for, for many, uh, are really healthy, and that's amazing. That's like, a, you know, um, that, of course, I think makes us all happy um, to know that there's some really, you know, healthy people out there because they're, they're usually going to be serving the community in a nice way as well. Um, and I think what the cool thing about what Viet was saying is that when he said I didn't know it was my normal, I think that's something I just picked up for the first time today, like in hearing Viet's story. I think to the listeners, like, like I think, because it was the same for me, like it was my normal from age six to age 32. My normal, so my, my normal, what I thought was homeostasis was actually anxiety. Um, and I think... Obviously, you know, the time comes when the, the you, you, your life will give you a challenge, which might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And I think what Viet and I are talking about, and we'll talk about later, is, is, is more like, not prevention, but like, like having these tools in your toolkit, hopefully before uh, a more extreme thing, thing happens to you where you feel like you're, you know, questioning, you know, having harder conversations with yourself, having those more 
um, maybe scary or more more sad conversations with yourself, um, you know, that which have yet been so humble and I think open about, um, which has really inspired me, by the way. So let's just say thanks to Viet because he's inspired me to be a bit more vulnerable and to share to share my story. So yeah, to, so before going to India, the, the, you know the beginning. So yeah, so uh, you know being a stressed dental student and being a uh, you know, a relatively stressed dentist, not knowing I was stressed. Um, just this, just general feeling of unfulfillment that I had. Because um, you know, you, you go, you go to school, you get straight A's. You go to uni, you get straight, you know, you get your first class honors. You then graduate, and you, and you think, oh, happiness is is just around the corner, you know. So I'm a dentist now. I should be happy, you know. And so I think I'm a bit of a cliche because I, I did that. But you know, did well at school, did well at uni, as yet senior, you know, a bit of an academic. Um, I think a lot of listeners out there especially new grads of course you're academic there's some level of academia to to make it this far um and you've always uh, for me I, you know and i think many people relate i was always a high achiever like i made the best try to make the best football team you're always high achieving high achieving and results the problem that i found was in my story is that at school yeah you get the reward you get you get that distinction at, you know at university you get given that that pat on the back, well done, you got first class honours and you feel good about yourself, you know, and you feel, yes, my hard work has paid off and I'm now happy because I received the validation I was after. Then you go to the real world and it's, as we all figured out in those first couple of years, it's so different. And what happened in my story was that I couldn't get out of that that mode i just couldn't find that fulfillment i tried like i you know and i was searching um for this fulfillment i i wasn't getting it from from dentistry unfortunately and that's just nothing my personal story i think many people are finding fulfillment and that's great i'm really and really genuinely happy um but i was and i think there are probably some listeners that may be in my boat where they weren't getting as much fulfillment from dentistry um maybe because of our original reasons of doing it maybe we're seeked in other issues um but so yeah i was a bit i was finding myself unfulfilled after around nine or ten years of working found myself in that one-way ticket to india and I, when i left as i said i said i was just looking for purpose what i meant by purpose i meant like a career change <laughs> i was looking for like i was like i was like well it's not dentistry so so what is it so in my head i had this idea that i had to change my circumstances um because it's going back you did ask me why did you come back to dentistry so i'll answer that question now it wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't the money it was a different reason um so when I was on this trip, I remember I just—it was pretty cool. I was sitting with these these enlightened, you know, monks, and I asked the question. He he said to me, he said, "Hello, son. How are you? I said, yeah, I'm good. How are you?" And he said, "What brings you here?" And this is like the third or fourth day to paint a picture. I'm at the foothills of the Himalayas. It's very poetic. You know, the foothills of of the the Himalayas. You know, the the Ganges River is flowing through. It's very beautiful. Um, you know, I'm freaking out because I've got this, you know, I don't know what I'm doing there. Um, I've just quit everything. And he asked me to my face, he said, yeah, what, what brings you here, son? And I, and I said, look, I'm a dentist and, and I've lived this life and I'm finding myself quite unfulfilled. And he looked at me and he kind of paused and he looked up at the sky because I said to him, my question was, is dentistry my purpose? And he looked up at the sky and he paused. It was very poetic and he, and he goes to me, he looked at me dead in the eyes and said, yes, dentistry is not your purpose. I was like, I was like, yes, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Tell me what it is. Am I, am I something? Am I a high school teacher? Because I always want to be a PE teacher. Am I a PE teacher? Am I, am I, uh, what, what, what do I do? And he just laughed. He said, no, no, no. He said, um, he said, be patient. The, the, the signal is coming. You need to, you need to meditate. You need to do yoga. 
And that's what he told me. And I said, I felt a bit, you know, like ripped off. I was like, come on, man. Like, yeah, you're just about to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah tell me about my, my new career. And he, he, he smiled and said, you need to, you need to, um, you know, repair yourself and prepare yourself for, for what's next. And he was quite happy with his little jingle, so he kept repeating it. He's, he's in his Indian accent, repair and prepare, repair and prepare. He was quite happy. And, and I didn't understand what he was talking about, but I um, I listened to what he said. So I went away and I practiced these things. Um, I found myself doing some basic, very, very basic um, courses in yoga. Um, and as time went on this trip, I started Kind of, of course, there was a lot of introspection too, so a lot of journaling. Because um, I was on a trip, I thought I might as well record it. Um, I was typing the note section on my iPhone every day whenever I felt like it. And then I started seeing the rhetoric. I started seeing my uh, inner dialogue. And to save you from reading the thousands of words, it was one line. It's, it's I'm not good enough. Um, that was the line. That was just, that was the theme. And I could see it. And it's the first time I'd stopped just to see that, you know, like I've been living 32 years with that rhetoric. Uh, well, not the first six, but I think from six onwards. And not realising that that was actually the thing that was driving me, is I'm not good enough. So, of course, I felt anxious because no matter what I did, I was always moving the goalposts, you know. Um, so when I saw that rhetoric, um, I kind of felt some level of solace. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm getting closer here. To, to My next thing was like, well, how do I go from I'm not good enough to I am good enough? You know, that was what I wanted to change. And that is a daily practice, like it said. Uh, I'll say that before I go into it. So then the journey went on. And I, my journey was really, it was fun. I kind of surrendered because I, I didn't have anywhere to be. So I just went where the wind took me. So I found myself in Sri Lanka for a little while. Um, then I came back to India. And then, um, yeah, I found myself back in the same city on the Ganges. And I started, that's when I started reading. Um, books kind of started coming to me. So the books that came to me were, were ancient philosophy, um, ancient Eastern philosophy specifically. Um, and, yeah, so they really struck a chord with me. And, and the gist of these books were, were mindfulness and, and they were, the gist of it was meditation. So I then found myself in Nepal and I was uh, doing a, um, a course called Vipassana. Um, I think some of the listeners would have heard of it. Um, it's getting more popular now. Um, it's a 10-day silent retreat, so you don't make eye contact and you don't speak for 10 days and you meditate for 10 hours a day. So my typical personality, which is to, to go right in the deep end impulsively, I never meditated in my life. Um, <laughs> and you have your passion. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'd never, I think I, once I signed up, I said, I better practice this thing. So I practiced for four minutes and was like, uh-oh. <laughs> but I, I think I had this little bit of complacency, uh, which got struck out of me really. Have you done it? Have you done it yourself? I have not, no. but I know no. I've heard lots about it and I've done a little bit of meditation, so I know how hard that must be. I can only yeah. imagine, actually. So I don't well, know. <laughs> well, one of, one of the, the dialogues I had during the course was, and this is this is for real, I'm not making this up, was I'd rather do my five-year dental course again than sit through one more day of this. <laughs> that was literally going through my head. And I was like, I was looking at the thoughts going, are you serious? And, yeah. it was, <laughs> and look, I don't think that's everybody's experience. And, and I won't go into too much of the experience because I think I don't want to ruin people's, you know, to give them preconceived notions. But for me, particular for me personally, that first profession I did was really challenging, but extremely fruitful because I was starting to practice the things which I didn't know at the time were going to help me to, to find this purpose that we're talking about. Um, so then I finished the course and 
I think by the 99th hour, I finally found some level of, of uh, let's say, improvement in my technique and, and, and I felt some level of joy. Uh, and uh, But the, the, what I did notice is that the, after that 10 days, I noticed the, the shift in me was remarkable. Like my whole life had changed. Just literally when I walked out of the course, I jumped on a plane to go to, I was on my way to Columbia again, just following where the wind was taking me. Um, but I was going via London and I got family in London. And when I landed, my, my cousin, she was like, what happened to you? Because she'd seen me before that in, uh, as part of the trip. She said, you're completely different. And I said, yeah, I think it's this course I just did. And, um, and that's, that, that feeling stayed with me for about three months just from the 10-day course. I, felt the, I actually felt the feeling slowly dissipate and come off my body, but it lasted a long time. So I got a personal experience of the benefit of meditation, which was cool for me because then uh, when I was in Colombia, I was actually planning on partying my way through South America. And that didn't happen because once again, I listened to that intuition and actually found myself in California, um, which in, in a bit of a yoga town, but it's a bit of like a Byron Bay meets um, Noosa. It's like a fancy kind of yoga town, um, which I really loved because it reminded me of home. Um, so I was living on the beach and that's where I went another little deeper and I found um, more meditation techniques. Um, and I spent Two months, probably in isolation. I didn't speak to many people. I was just in solitude. And I practiced um, new techniques that were given, given to me. And I practiced, um, I was reading um, um, some deeper ancient philosophy uh, books. And then I was, then I, felt, I felt very good. I was, so my life was changing. I, I was, there was actually a moment, I remember. Uh, I remember the date. Uh, there was a moment where one day I was feeling a certain level of anxiety. And then if, within, one moment, I felt 99% of it lift off my shoulders. Um, so that was a, a moment that, that I obviously I'm really grateful for and I feel very blessed. So has all my suffering dissipated? No. Do I still suffer from anxiety? Yes. But a big chunk of it, like a, bit, like a big, big chunk just left me. And that was um, a really amazing experience for me. Um, and then I continued the journey. I found myself again following the wind. I found myself back in India again. And this time I felt a lot more comfortable. With the techniques so i went into the teacher training course in yoga started talking to more people and getting into the juicy side of of mindfulness via the ancient philosophy um, of meditation uh breathing and and yoga the, the physical postures um and then then i, I did finish the trip with the, another vipassana i thought let me just tie this up and and uh maybe have another crack at this uh this course and uh it, it was it was good the second time around i felt a lot more comfortable and and uh i just wanted to practice uh, before coming back home to to see um I, I, the reason i came back to dentistry was because I, I i found what i was looking for uh in the end i know you asked me what the purpose was um i won't i won't go into that i think the word purpose may not be correct but i think i found i, I was able to shift my perspective from i'm not good enough to um, I am enough, most definitely, um, and I'm worthy. Um, but it's a working progress, so it's not. A, it's not. It doesn't need to be an absolute. I think when we think in all or nothing terms, I think that's a bit hard on ourselves. So uh, I, let's just say a big chunk of the I'm not good enough fell away. Uh, I still have days where I don't feel good enough, of course. Um, but a big chunk of it fell away, and also when that voice does come again, 
I've got some tools in my toolkit. And, and those tools were the gift of that trip. And that's what I found. I found the tools to manage that inner dialogue. And that's what I'm um, feeling really compelled to share because it, it really shifted my mindset because uh, I didn't, sh- I guess I didn't go to as much vulnerability of how down I was in 2014, but I was very similar to what they had said. I, I was, I was uh, questioning, um, you know, what, what on earth am I doing here because I'm sat around of ideas and then uh, post that uh, very blessed and lucky sabbatical, uh, I, can't, I feel I've come back with some, some ideas of what to do. It's such inspiring stories. I, I could listen to this all day and learn from you guys all day. Um, tell us a bit about the tools that you found and that you now both together teach in your work, workshops and other events. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I think um, so obviously Shirag did a lot of learning uh, overseas. And, you know, this obviously Shirag and I didn't really communicate about what we were doing during that time, like the 18 months, we just did our own thing. Um, but I didn't realize Shrug was struggling that much and he probably didn't I think about the same. I didn't know if he was struggling. <laughs> I had no idea. He was one of my closest friends and I had no idea he was struggling. Yeah. Um, so we did our own thing, um, you know, during that time. And then it wasn't until he came back and obviously sharing his stories and then we sort of got talking and realized that, hey, you know what, we're doing something quite similar, obviously different ways of doing it, um, but there was a common theme um, you know, with what we've sort of learnt in that time. Um, and so, you know, the whole point of this workshop that we've created is we sort of try to package it up in a way that sort of um, help people understand, just make it a bit easier, I guess. Um, and for us, it's um, looking at four aspects of our life, really. Um, you can sort of group it up and um, by saying... Um, by sort of ticking the boxes, you sort of um, sort of move closer to achieving a more balanced perspective of our lives. Um, and this is our, once again, this is only our own opinion. Um, you know, it's not saying that we'll say, we're not saying that this will work for everyone, uh, but this is something that sort of worked for us. And it's sort of backed by science as well. Um, but so the four things that we've sort of realized that, you know, that we looked at in our own lives um, the first one was mindfulness, as you know, you touched on before. Um, the second thing is appreciation and or gratitude. Uh, third thing was our own level of self worth, and the fourth thing is um, kindness and service. Um, so those four things put together um, creates the acronym Mask. Um, this is done before COVID, so it's not the reason why uh, we came up with that. Um, but the reason for the acronym is because we believe that when we are able to work on our mental health and you know um, achieve a better state of mental health, we're like there's a better version of ourselves there. Um, but what we what people don't understand is people think that oh we need to change who we are and whatnot. Um, but the way that Shirag and I see it is the better version of ourselves is already there within us. It's there. Um, it's like, you know, I use the analogy of a six pack. Like, you know, if I want a six pack, I've already got a six pack. It's just covered by this fat and conditioning. 
right? Um, and that's the same thing with this best version of ourselves. Like it's there. The only thing that's covering it is all our habits, beliefs, values, all this condition that we've created that we wear day in, day out. And it's a mask that we wear that sort of blocks us being able to show our truer selves, us being able to be authentic, be vulnerable. That's what stops the connection between us and others. And um, by if we can ask ourselves, are we being mindful? Are we being grateful? Do we feel worthy? Are we being kind? If we can say yes to all those things, there's a good chance that, you know, that mask is lifted off slightly and then we can, um, you know, see the world in a, in a better light. So, yeah, so that's that's our recipe. I don't know if Sherrod wants to add. Well, yeah, just what he said, like, you, yeah, I think you can see the world in a better light, but also people see your light, you know, like if you can take your mask off, all of a sudden you're vulnerable um, and you're shining and, and you're going to make a huge difference to, I think, firstly, just your colleagues. Just if you think of the relationship between the dentist and the, and the DA, um, for me, I really value that relationship, I think, because I'm spending eight hours with this person, you know, uh, and if you're both guarded and got your walls up, that's a pretty tough day, you know. Um, but if you can, you know, start forming relationships in your, in your workplace where you can gently take your mask off, um, what we've found, I think, in the practice is that it's just such a great place to be. Like, I feel like I can, I just feel so comfortable uh, in, in being able to just kind of open up a little bit more to my to my colleagues. And it creates this environment of um, connection, I think, massively. So, um, and that's because each person is is working on their own self. So that's where the being together comes from. So, you know, being is working on yourself. So working on those four aspects of yourself, like Beat said, so mindfulness, great, um, you know, gratitude, self-worth and kindness. By working on those things in your, on, by yourself, if you've got a team that's working on that, um, all of a sudden that team's quite connected. So, and, and I think a lot of mental health issues come from isolation, especially in dentistry. Um, I think mean, for the new grads, the shift between being at uni with your mates to working in a cubicle kind of room, maybe with no windows, under duress, um, with his dental assistant saying, hurry up because I want my lunch, that's going to be a tough situation um, where you can start feeling really isolated, um, especially in these times that we have right now. Um, so I think the big, for me, like I think we talked a lot about the being, and I think, yeah, I guess I'd like to add that together. So the connection that's created only like compound interest it just compounds on the mental health it makes it so much healthier because now you have a situation where you can be vulnerable and you can um tell your colleague how you're feeling um and i think that creates a sense of community uh, amongst your um colleagues so now if all the staff are a sense of community get that spills over to your patients so now your patients are feeling it and then all of a sudden you have a pretty happy workplace from an isolated kind of dentist feeling to all of a sudden You've got this connected workplace. I think that's where, with with you know, with the workshop, it'd be so cool to to kind of implement that into practice and see, and then check in with them and see how they're doing. Um, and seeing, I think that not only will the, each individual person benefit, but I think the, the patients and the community at large, uh, it has a ripple effect. You know, and I think that's what that's what I'm really passionate about is that kind of that ripple effect that. Uh, each individual can have, um, starting with this mask uh, acronym, which if we get made up, I think it's pretty brilliant. <laughs> it's pretty witty. Thanks. I think it applies yeah. really well. It's, yeah. it's interesting. Like the first thing we're thinking about is working on ourselves so that we can then help others. It's like we can't help others if we're not whole ourselves. And it really, it really starts there. 
you talked a bit about breathing before as well. So I guess that's coming on to more things like that help us in the the day-to-day anxieties. Is there anything you wanted to, uh, I guess, uh, the tying up that side of things, the so the mask and the, uh, the different areas that are working on ourselves, but is there anything you want to tie up there? And if if not, is there any other you know techniques or breathing things that you can give us some yeah. uh, pointers? I guess around yeah. that. Yeah, I think you know that's good. It, it, there is um yeah obviously we won't be able to do it today is to, to link introspection, breathing, and meditation back into mask. But really briefly, those tools help with each of those individual things. Um, before I start, um, so for example, and and the, the reason we focus on breathing is because. I think um, from my, from study and I think uh, anecdotally, it's a really good place to A, to start and B, it is the bulk of it. Uh, it's, the, it's the bulk of um, the technique. Um, so, for example, if you, uh, the breathing, which which helps, I'll go into how it helps the, the you to de-stress, but if you're, and it helps with mindfulness because it helps you come back in the present moment. Um, it can help you with self-worth as well because you're, because you're able to, you know, not be as stressed in that moment. Uh, and it will help you be um, to serve your patient better. So it's in the kindness. And uh, obviously, it, it, in terms of gratitude, we'll go into some other things. But to go into the technique um, of breathing itself, I'll keep the science really simple. So stress is fight or flight. So um, like we talked about before, let's just say to keep it really simple, um, dentists probably have a high level of cortisol. Uh, running through the blood due to the sympathetic nervous system and that cortisol has negative health effects okay um like eventually immune issues digestive issues heart issues and eventually burnout anxiety and depression um so if we could hack that cortisol if we could trick our body into um switching from the fight or flight into the rest and digest, which is the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, it, obviously, so when the parasympathetic nervous system is switched on, your cortisol levels will fall back to a normal level, and then hopefully your health can improve. So there's a, there's actually a point in the science where you can hack it, um, and it's by activating the vagus nerve, um, which is a big big part of your parasympathetic nervous system, and there's a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine. Um, which was first discovered in 1921. It's it's the first um, neurotransmitter ever discovered, actually. Um, The guy won a Nobel Prize for it. But basically what it does is when you you breathe deeply, diaphragmatically, okay, you activate your vagus nerve, which activates the parasympathetic nervous system, okay? So it's like if you think there's a car, if if, if fight or flight's the accelerator, um, the parasympathetic is the brake so if you can because as dentists with our foot's on the pedal all day that's not good for the engine okay you need to have a brake so by hacking that accelerator and switching it to the brake by just using your breath um we think is pretty amazing and it's not original <laughs> this has been around for millennia this is not, <laughs> this is this is um and i think we, we all know it. again if you watch michael jordan before he shoots a free throw he exhales sharply. If you look at a tennis player before they do a, um, a serve, they exhale. If you look closely, they always exhale quite a long exhale. So we do this automatically because um, it's the autonomic nervous system. But, let's, but the cool thing about breathing is you can do it consciously. So the, the, thanks for listening to the science, but the conscious 
breathing technique is literally a diaphragmatic breathing um, based on inhaling for, let's say, four seconds. We can change the seconds to what's comfortable for you. You're breathing for four seconds, but it's, it's really important. It's, it's a belly breath, so diaphragmatic breathing. You hold for four seconds. You exhale for four seconds, and then you hold for four seconds, and then you repeat. That's the most basic breathing technique. That yeah, it's called box breathing. It's not our technique. We've, we've researched it. There are there are many many techniques. Which I'll just touch on it briefly, where you can do longer exhalations because a longer exhalation will activate your vagus nerve a bit more. But we don't need to go into science today. But just it activates your vagus nerve more. Um, but to keep it really simple for the listeners. Um, engaging your diaphragm and consciously breathing. Let's say you put away, uh, an example, five minutes in the day, uh, maybe in your morning huddle with your DA. Um, you could do even a three-minute um, session together where you box breathe before your first patient. You can do it before a new patient. So you're out of your sympathetic nervous system. You're now calm because that's, again, if we talk about case conversion, all those beautiful things and communication, um, if you're calm, it's going to, go a long way um, you can do it after a stressful procedure so you've broken a tooth uh to the new grads watch out for upper premolars you might break it unwittingly not realizing upper premolars like they, they can break those roots um you know you could find yourself in, the, in a very high level of stress i did when i was a new grad but if you had this little hack you could calm yourself down and get to the next patient um you can do it before lunch and of course, you can do it in the car before going to visit to see your family. You know, that's just a you've had a big day of dentistry. Maybe it'd be good to go in the house, you know, with your autonomic nervous system chilled out, you know. So that's where the technique of breathing we find is so practical. Um, and so everybody can do it, you know, and then and there's science behind it. And it's what the ancient um what, what I learned in um, in India as well. There's the same thing, exactly the same thing. They just have different names for it, but it's been around for a long time. Do you find or do you suggest that people incorporate this in a specific time during like every single day or is it something like you said, you can do it when you're stressed, you can do it before you get home? And do you know what I mean? Like what do you, what do, you do? Oh, me? Uh, do you want to go first? Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you can um, add in any other practices you might do, hmm. yoga, um, meditation, anything else or if you combine them. Yeah, so for me, um, the first time I started doing it, it's about creating a habit. So it's easier just setting certain times in the day, like, um, you know, just before you go into work or when you first wake up, you know, at lunchtime, at the end of the day, um, as Shrug said, before you go into the house, um, just creating those habits, like just picking certain points, um, just so that your body has a chance to have a break. Because sometimes if you're waiting for a new patient to do it, then you may not get a new patient that day. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for me to create that habit is, um, yeah, I set times in the day. Um, nowadays, um, I just do it quite freely, but I do it more before um, if I know I've got a difficult patient coming up, like sometimes my front desk screens me and said, this one's going to be a challenging one. Then you go, okay. Um, obviously, I should have touched on new patients as well. Um, just because um, it sort of brings you back to the moment and sort of clears your head a bit um, for me personally um, so that you can better serve the patient so that you, because your head's clear, you can sort of take in a bit more information um, and sort of listen a lot better uh, with patients. 
um, I do it with the extractions. Each time I put the luxator on and sort of start twisting it and um, sort of stops that temptation where you sort of sometimes might uh, get to that point where you get frustrated and you go a bit too hard <laughs> and then you, you snatch up the tooth. Um, so I sort of take it quite slow um, and that usually helps me get the tooth out and whatnot. And obviously, um, you know, being a practice owner, um, there's a lot of difficult conversations that we have to have with staff and um, so I normally use it for those sort of meetings and, and whatnot as well. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. Um, I, I use it. Um, I have like a, a routine that obviously I, I'm very kind to myself, but I'm not strict on myself where I got to do it every day, every morning, every night, but in an ideal world, uh, I would love to do um, a little bit in the morning, uh, you know, um, before I start anything else. Um, and a little bit in the evening. Um, that's my, my, my solid kind of fixed routine um, where I incorporate breathing and, and meditation um, into my daily routine. Um, and um, the you, you mentioned yoga, like the physical postures. Um, again, in an ideal world, <laughs> I've been doing it every day, but that's, you know, uh, um, I give myself a lot of leeway. I'm um, trying to myself on that one. So I do it. As often as I can, I say, like, I try. I, I, I think let's call it, instead of calling it like yoga, let's say physical exercise, I think if we just call it that, I would try to do half an hour of physical exercise um, at least every second day, uh, if not every day. But I think, yeah, I think it's just going to be huge in mindfulness uh, is, is you know, some level of exercise. If you can incorporate stretching, um, I think that will uh, take you a long way, especially as a dentist, um, your back hunched over. Um, I think um, that's how I got into yoga in the first place. I just saw back. That's what made me want to go to India. Um, my back was aching. Um, so, but yeah, to answer the question, um, yeah, morning and evening um, would be my routine. And at work, I, at lunchtime, I actually, uh, um, I think I'm known in the office as the one who disappears at lunch. So do I, every lunch, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm so knackered from the conversations with the patients that I just need a bit of me time, like plugging in my you're plugging your iPhone to charge a battery. I need to charge my battery. So actually, we're lucky where we work. We have a beautiful, um, we're working Wellington Point. So there's a beautiful um, bay, like just 10 minutes or five minute drive. So I drive down to the point and I do my breathing down on the point with, you know, before my lunch. Uh, so just a little technical point. If you can do it, you know, before lunch, it's probably better than after because you're on an empty stomach. It is, that's a little technical point. It is better to breathe, uh, do these deeper breathing techniques on an empty stomach if you can. Okay, um, but yes, yeah, so I do it before lunch. Um, I'll sit there and do some breathing um, in nature as well. So I think that's really if you get the opportunity to get out of the office uh, and get some um, some sun, I think yeah, that's really really cool. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'll do it at lunchtime, um, and I do it. You know, when I'm light curing, I found myself doing it because yeah, there's, there's there's 20 <laughs> seconds there. So light curing, I always find myself breathing. And yeah, like I said, uh, during a surgical, I. Uh, I say a quick prayer to the dental gods and uh, and I, I do some breathing and uh, midway when it's not going my way, I just kind of stop and I just kind of tell the patient I'm just going to have a little break. Um, I say like, you know, and I literally just do some breathing and then kind of I center myself and do all that dialogue, uh, which is like relax, like it's all good. Do, I do mask in my head and then... Um, I come back and, and you know, it's, it's funny ever since doing this, like it works. Like I come back and yeah, every, every time, like uh, yeah, the tooth comes out within you know, the next couple of minutes. So I've been lucky so far. Touch wood. Of course, I'll be the day where it doesn't. But, uh, 
But yeah, it's just I think just compared to before, first compared to before. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it's like a complete difference. Um, but yeah, so I'll do it, do it those times. Yeah, um, every day. I think that's fantastic. I think all those little points on when, <laughs> like lock setting or, or yeah. taking a step back. I, I, I um, someone told me when I was in dental school to if you, things are stre- stressful and it's not going your way, just just go and wash your hands. It's the same concept, but without the vagus nerve and breathing. But it's just taking a step back and like actually kind of recentering yourself. That was helpful for me. Um, I'm exactly the same as you. I get out every lunchtime. I sit by the river. Unfortunately, that river just flooded really, really badly for our community um, in the Port Macquarie region. So, um, uh, just as an aside, I'm going to say it in the intro, but where we tie this, every person who listens, um, we donate. It's only one cent, but we donate, um, and every share we donate. And this next quarter, it's going to go to those flood um, affected people in our region. Um, uh, so, yeah, so getting out there, I think, has helped me so much in the same way. But I didn't know to breathe before eating, and I don't, I don't, I've, I've let those practices go, and I'm so happy we're having this conversation because it's definitely changed. Um, you know, my perspective and I'm going to be doing a lot of these things. I want to make a point of something you said, which I relate to um, and I am not this kind to myself normally. You said be kind to yourself about your routine. Like, you know, you have this routine and you want to do this and, you know, at this time and this at that time. And then it's so easy for us to then miss a day and then be angry with ourselves or whatever. And then it kind of all unravels because of that. Um, And so the way you said that actually resonates really strongly with me as well. So I think that's fantastic. Those points are so so useful. Well, yeah, this line came to us because on on the trip, I had to be very strict in certain things. And this line came to me. It was not my line. It was given to me by someone. They said, don't develop an inferior complex while you're trying to let go of your complexes. It's going to take a bit to get that. (laughs) Yeah. So basically, don't, don't, because the whole point of this whole thing is mental health, right? Yeah, exactly. So don't develop a mental health issue whilst trying to work on your mental health. So don't develop a complex about letting go of all your complexes. Oh, that's so so relevant. But sometimes we need to be told that to actually realize how important that is. Oh, um, it's, yeah, it's easier said than done. Yeah, easier said than done. Absolutely, it's a work in progress, as you, mm-hmm. you guys have said. Um, this has been such a fantastic chat. I I literally could talk all night. I always close these things <laughs> off. <clears throat> excuse me, with some some specific tips. Um, we're thinking about graduates. We're thinking about students. Um, I, I always ask. Imagine you could teach all the graduating people of this year, they're all three months out. Um, one thing, it can't be breathing because we've already done that. <laughs> um, it can be a concepts, but teach them all. What's the one thing that helped you the most or has helped you the most through your time? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> There's so many things. Um, for me, um, this is something that sort of hit me the most and um, once I realized it, I realized how much of an influence it had on my whole life. Um, as I said before, I felt that feeling of um, not good enough. Um, and I think it sort of in, was introduced to me like when I was reading a lot of Brene Brown. Like, um, yeah, so I think it's the understanding that we are enough. Like mm. um, that every day we are doing the best we can. and that is enough. Like it's okay to feel not okay some days. Like your best changes every day because we're in a different mind frame, there's different things going on. Um, And just like you said before about routines and stuff and being so strict, 
it's okay to, you know, not want to go to the gym and whatnot. Like you're not feeling it. That's okay. Um, but it's the understanding of that, accepting that and, um, yeah, and just realizing that we are born enough. I, I think it's something that for me I sort of realized from as a child we sort of look externally for that feeling of um, worthiness and whatnot and sort of we create this habit that we keep on looking externally to other people but we have to generate it from within. We have to believe that we are enough and that for me that changed everything. That changed my dentistry. That changed how I communicated because I never felt that, you know, I had to get one over someone, didn't have to judge anyone because once you feel you are enough, then you can see that in other people and others are enough as well. And so, um, yeah, so that's if I could teach that to every new grad, you know, Mm. I'd I'd, I'd be happy. (laughs) But that's easier said than done because obviously when you're in it, you're in it. Like for me, you know, that's that's after however many years post-graduation. But, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's that's great. I think I've got to say something probably pretty similar. So if I could if I could go back to myself as a new grad or, yeah, go back to a new grad and say, if they ask me for one tip, can I give two? I've got to, got to be yeah, two. Yeah, you can give two. two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think uh, the, the first tip I'd say is, is I'm going to repeat myself, is, is like be kind to yourself, like which is exactly what Pierre just said. So I'd say the I think in general, I think we can agree. I'm making a broad statement here, but I think in general, uh, I think uh, people are quite hard on themselves. I think dentists in general are very hard on themselves. I think this generation is quite hard on themselves. Um, so I think the first thing I'd say. Um, and it's actually what someone told me before I did my first repartion course. I was so lucky. They said, don't forget to be kind to yourself. Um, that was like, it was golden advice. And I did, I do wish I received this advice when I was younger. Um, so that's why, yeah, the first thing I'd say is to be kind to yourself um, and, and that you are good enough. And that's, uh, I won't go into it because we've covered it already. So that's why I thought I'd give another tip. I think this tip is the, the biggest one I learned on my trip. And it's going to sound really simple, um, but this is what I tell a new grad. If you want to have a successful career, I would say um, forget everything and just serve the patient who's in front of you. Just serve the patient. Now, that, that sounds really obtuse, like sounds like stating the obvious because we got into, we're, we're, we're medical professionals. We're, we're, of course, I'm here to help the patient. But I'll be the first to put my hand up and say, before my trip, what was going through my head is so I'm not good enough and I'm going to try. And this is the funny thing. My dentistry has not changed. So before pre-trip and post-trip, my dentistry is the same. The quality is the same, okay, because I did my best, but my intention, what was my intention? Before the trip, my intention, yeah, was to serve the patient, absolutely. But there was also this massive chunk of anxiety of am I good enough for this patient? What will this patient think of me? Um, what does the DA think of me? Um, will this patient like me? You know, will they return? Um, I hope I'm doing the best I can. So there's all these thoughts. But post-trip, all I think is, and there's this thing about letting go, all you got to do, if you just serve the patients in front of you, if that's your only intention, so forget, am I good enough? Forget, is this DO composite? Is the anatomy perfect? Forget all that. Am I serving the patient? Because I guarantee you, if you, if you're serving the patient, 
And that's one of the elements of mask. But okay, if you're kind and you're serving that patient, I believe that you're going to be extremely mentally healthy because you're going to be coming from a much calmer place because you won't be overthinking it because serving the patient means you'll be listening to them. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll, you'll be an active listener. You'll address their main concern. I guarantee that they'll come back and see you again. <laughs> they'll like you. And your dental skill will improve over time because you, you're going to build beautiful rapport with these patients. So, yeah, my advice would be um, it's like to go deep into it, to really analyze your intentions for each and every patient. That's easy for every patient. Don't think I'm going to lunch or don't think I'm here for the, for the money or whatever. You know, am I here to serve? And I think if you can do that, um, I think you'll see a beautiful shift in yourself. And I think if you combine what Viet said, being kind to yourself and you're serving that patient, I think you're going to have a really good day. I absolutely love that. And, and there's so much I'm thinking about now and I'm going to be working on. I hope there's many people feeling the same way. Where should they go next? Where, how do they learn more about this? Obviously, in your workshop, um, but currently that's in a physical form, so not, it's not accessible to everyone. I hope you're going to do this in a more wider way soon. Um, yeah. Where should they go? Tell us about the, the workshop and then tell us where they can just go right now, maybe YouTube, maybe a book, maybe a um, something that they can start with. Um, yeah, well, right now we're, we've only done, a, we've done sets of workshops in the past 12 months at different practices because um, while, you know, dentistry is quite stressful and we as dentists understand that stress, um, we need to understand that that stress as drugs, it's like a ripple effect. Like if I'm stressed, then my DA is stressed and then my front desk is stressed. So um, we sort of make a point of going to practices and realizing that, you know, the whole practice needs to um, sort of be more aware of this whole unspoken issue of mental health. And that's how we sort of um, grow because, as Shuraq said before, the issue is isolation. Sometimes we feel alone, like um, we feel like whether anyone's feeling it. Um, but if we can sort of create that environment where everyone's sort of aware and sort of checking in with each other, um, then sort of we can sort of work together and grow together. Um, unfortunately, we don't have any uh, other documents like ebooks or whatever. Well, uh, I guess I was going to say where they can go immediately to contact us, like there's a Facebook page and Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Um, they can do that firstly. Um, definitely message us. Like that's, um, we're really happy to, um, to start a conversation. Um, and uh, there's an email as well. Um, maybe you can, yeah, give them the email as well. But to answer your question as well, because you said that where do they start, like a specific book? or a specific um, place to start. I'd say... Maybe if you can recommend a book. Yeah, yeah. I can, you go first. Yeah, I can recommend. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe we can, we can each recommend a book, but also, I'd say start the breathing. Like just doing mm, it. I'd say that's mm, the first thing. Mm. I'd say start, start with that. Um, start the conversation at work. Maybe start the conversation in, in, in the workplace about mental health, and you might be surprised that if you get the, the, the team into it, because everyone's got this. Everyone, everyone, the knowledge is within, right? Everyone's got it. So I think start the conversation at work, start the breathing, um, it would be a great place to start. Definitely message us if there's a question. I like, I like chatting to people and making you know, new connections. I think we're really happy to start connecting now. I think, yeah. we're, you know, so on Instagram or Facebook, I think um, that's yeah. good. Um, but 
where to start in terms of a book or or um yeah so i guess i guess i'll start with my favorite one let me think oh which book <laughs> would you start with well, we'll think, email out a whole list after yeah, I, think, <laughs> I do yeah we'll email a list but i think for mindfulness i've got to be fair and say probably um outwitting the devil by napoleon hill well that's a different one that's my <laughs> favorite mindfulness book um napoleon hill wrote that other book which everyone knows think and grow rich but i think that outwitting the devil is uh is is like um the book uh think and grow rich but on steroids it's it for me it's it takes all the the juice out of it. it's concentrated and it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a more fun read so i really think for mindfulness for a new grad i'd recommend out with the devil i wish i read that when i was 18 yeah i thought you would recommend eckhart no no <sighs> too cliche <laughs> 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 that would be cool that, that's a that's a really deep read though that um what is his name eckhart um Tolly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The power of now. I got it. The power of now. That's it. I've I've read three quarters of that actually, and I did not get the whole way through. Um, I found that really, really deep. <laughs> um, should I should I pick that back up? Is that that the advice yeah. I'm hearing? Yeah. Well, <laughs> a, a new earth, a new earth by Eckhart Tolle was yeah. the very first book I read, like at that time, and around 2015. And yeah, that caused a shift in me. That's where it started yeah. for me. Yeah. 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 Um, there's, there's so many. We'll give you a list. There's so yeah. many books. Um, yeah. Um, um, Viet, yeah, Viet's been pretty cool. Actually, he's made a library in the um, in our clinic. So there's a library in the um, near where the patients would um, do the handover. Um, and it's free free books for patients to take home and bring back whenever they like and for staff. I think it's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, um, yeah so, that is cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I think on the topic of where, where to start, I think it's sure I touch on it. I think it's just being um being vulnerable to begin with because then that once again you can't be vulnerable unless you're taking off that mask and then mm. once you do that it sort of allows the other person to be the same so i know there's times at work i, I go in if i'm not feeling it i say outwardly i tell, tell my assistant i go you know what I'm not feeling it today like straight up like right from the get-go first patient like before the first patient just so that they understand like i'm open with how i feel and also so they know that if i'm a bit more quiet that's not because of them that's my own issue um and so they don't have to stress about oh what have i done wrong um you know i think it's just creating that openness so that you know to you know we have to set the example i guess like we have to um we shouldn't have to sit around and wait for someone to sort of be open and talk about it. We can start talking about it ourselves mm. um, and just letting people know. Um, yeah, just something gentle, just saying, oh, I'm just, you know, not feeling as good today, not feeling as energized as I normally am. It's not something simple like that. Yeah. Just- I was going to say as well, absolutely. Um, I just realized as you've asked the question, for me, actually, the, the place to start actually would be, it would actually be journaling. Um, I realized that for me, because and in our workshop, that's actually the first, it's always the first tool we talk about. And sometimes we should start off just with writing down our thoughts initially. So the reason I say journaling is because it tells you where you're at. You know, you get to see your inner dialogue. I think I even said that in my story about the trip. I, I think journaling would be a brilliant place to start because everybody knows what it is. Uh, there's no technique. Just write down your thoughts. Um, and it's just you and you. You, just, you have to involve anybody else. I think journaling would be a brilliant place to start just to have a look at where you're at. And I think just know on that little disclaimer that the studies have shown that sometimes journaling initially can be difficult, 
because you are seeing something that you might not have realized. So be, be again, I'm repeating myself, but be kind to yourself when you journal as well. Like take it easy. Um, but yeah, I think journaling will be a brilliant place to start on the journey of uh, mental health. This has been such a fantastic discussion. Every single point you've brought up is in considering introspection is making me think about myself and I hope it's making a lot of people, other people out there think. Um, I, I really genuinely want to say thank you so much for both of your time. Um, this is almost a two-hour podcast and I think every single piece of it is so useful and so engaging. Um, thank you, Dr. Viet Lee and Dr. Chirag Devani. Thank you for your time. No, thanks, thanks, thanks for having us. Absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, we look forward to talking more. I hope you've made it this far. I know it's a monster podcast, but such engaging stories from two genuinely passionate individuals on such an important topic. Personally, I've been exposed to all all of the things like meditation, mindfulness, um, journaling. We even made the Foresight Dental Journal to help dental students and graduates. This stuff is really important to me, but I had let it pass. I had let it fall away from my life and and having this interview was just uh, it was profound for me and i hope it's helpful for you now we're going to change pace we're going to go into the ripe global segment thank you for their support for dental students and graduates if you want to get involved with their membership program you can get 30 percent off go to our show notes and you'll find those codes for now we hear dr lincoln harris talking about occlusion and and splints something that we all provide something that's quite important um it's from an ama or a q a that he did for his members something that i think is quite valuable as well i hope you enjoy it until next time thank you for listening to the dental head start podcast the problem with bike guards is that most people don't uh most people don't make bike guards properly First of all, there's no difference really between a full mouth maxillary bite guard and a full mouth mandibular bite guard, okay? Which draw it on makes very little difference. The problem with bite guards is that most people don't, uh, most people don't make bite guards properly. Now, Michael Melkers is going to, he's currently building a course on inclusion, which we'll cover this in detail, uh, but there is, um, uh, <clears throat> bike guards need to be very carefully adjusted otherwise they don't really do what they're intended to do depending on the type of patient so you have three types of reasons that you would use a bike guard number one is protection for protection of restorations it doesn't really matter what you use you can use two suck down Essex appliances, you can use a Michigan, you can use a Tanner, which goes on the lower jaw. Uh, you can use a um, NTI in most cases, or an AMSA, which is just a bite guard on front teeth only. You can use, so for, for protection of teeth, you can use anything that stops the teeth touching. It doesn't matter whether it gives them pain or not, you're just worried about stopping their teeth touching. So when you're adjusting your bite guards, you actually want the patient's teeth to lift apart because they're sitting on the canine as they go laterally for only a millimetre or two. And then you very quickly want the load coming off the canine and all the load going onto their central incisors. This is because central incisors, uh, when you bite on your central incisor, you reduce the muscle activity that you can clench with by about 85%. So you're down to 15% of your clenching power. 
Now, that is not important for a patient where you're just trying to protect the teeth, but in a patient where they've got muscle pain or joint pain, it's really important. So uh, in such a patient, you really want to get the loads down, so you really want to have the patient as they go sideways first of all they sit onto the canines and then they move onto the central and you avoid the laterals altogether when you have the lateral incisors uh, getting loaded the lateral incisors will uh, they're just a very delicate tooth and they're easy to break so lateral incisor crowns or veneers or fillings tend to be very very thin and easily chipped so that's why we generally don't want them going on to uh, lateral incisors so uh, hang on, I've just had a question come in here. That process of adjusting a full arch splint until you have canine guidance, which rapidly transitions to your central incisors, is not usually done. It's not very common. It takes quite a lot of time. So it also means that the rest of your splint should be really flat. So when you do your adjustment, you don't want little divots. Once you get the contacts right, you want to flatten the splint and have it super smooth and as small as possible. So anything that's not necessary on a splint, you want to cut off. Uh, because the bigger the splint, the less likely the patient is to use it. Uh, now, I generally make mandibular splints because when you make maxillary ones, this is full arch splints, you get all this bulk poking out of the lip and patients don't like it. They, particularly female patients don't like not being able to close their lips together when they're sleeping. Uh, so that's because you have to be able to have it so that the teeth can come forward and not drop over the edge. On the lower, the bulk has to go lingually, not buckly, so you don't end up with the splint poking so far into the lips. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com start to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.